All right. Well, it's good to be able to hear you guys getting, you know, being able to talk to one another and, and reconnecting through a time of greetings. So uh, it's so good to be together today. And we are uh, continuing our series through the Lord's Prayer. Um, and our section today is uh, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And so it should be just a really lighthearted, uh, super simple topic. And so uh, I'm really glad that you guys came uh, for such a, you know, such a happy-to-go-lucky time. No. Um, you know, honestly, as I was getting ready to prepare for the sermon, I, um, it's interesting because I had a couple weeks uh, where we had Dan's ordination two weeks ago, and then Pastor Evan preached last week. And so I had a little bit more time to, to kind of study this one, and not that I don't take time before, but just was able to look into it. But I was coming into this sermon uh, ready to talk about um, temptations and you know, and, and making some sort of comment about, um, you know, when Steph goes to the grocery store and buys cookies, like the little Trader Joe's, like many tiny ones that you just blink and you've had 12. And it's one of those where I'm like, honey, if you just like wouldn't buy them, I wouldn't be tempted to eat them. Like it's like, like it's her fault, right? And which is not. Um, and it reminds me of this, uh, this children's story, uh, Frog and Toad, uh, the adventures of Frog and Toad. And there's one called Willpower. And so I was ready to share this idea of, you know, it's, it's they're two, they have these cookies and they're really excited about them and they keep eating them and they say, you know, we need to stop eating these cookies. Like, okay, well, let's put them in a box. That'll stop us. And then they open up the box and they keep eating and they say, well, I have an idea. Let's, let's tie a little string around the box. That'll make us less likely. And then they just open up the string and eat it anyways. Well, let's put it outside, or, excuse me, up top on a refrigerator. That'll make it easier for us to, to not eat it. And they're like, no, we still have not Like, we need more willpower. And one of them just goes and he grabs the box and he just throws all the cookies outside. And Toad says, well, why did you do that for? Frog's like, well, now, like, we don't have any more cookies. And Frog's like, well, now we have willpower because the temptation's gone. And then Toad just says, yeah, I'm going to go bake a cake. So, you know, it's one of those where, which recognizing that, you know, we think that temptation is simply just needing to, to have more willpower for us just to be stronger. And, you know, when we feel tempted, we just are, you know, and it's, it's this idea of recognizing that this passage, this topic is actually more than just don't be around cookies. Or maybe for some of you, maybe it's not cookies, maybe it's you know, whatever maybe. Maybe it's just the wanting to take more time to relax and so you watch TV instead of, you know, being in your word. Maybe it's uh, just talking about people and gossiping. Maybe it's looking at things you shouldn't, listening to things we shouldn't. Whatever it may be, sometimes the temptation is not just acknowledging that because this passage is going to open up, um, for me at least studying it, opened up something that was a little, had been a little um, maybe unclear uh, when it comes to God's role in uh, our trials, our difficulties. And so I hope that it encourage you, encourages you um, as much as it's encouraged me. So will you join me in a word of prayer as we get ready to dive into God's word today? Father, we thank you that you are here with us wherever here is, whether we are um, inside the worship center here at church, the church building, whether we are part of the church while watching online. God, I pray that you would meet us, um, meet us where we are. Lord, and that you would speak to us where we are. Lord, I pray that as we dive into your word, that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us. And Lord, as we talk about a topic that can be difficult or, or can bring up emotion, Lord, I pray that you would um, just penetrate our hearts to, to have us be able to receive what it is that you want from us this morning. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
So as I mentioned, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, 13, and we have some other verses that we will refer to, but um, as Pastor Evan just did a wonderful job last week talking about forgiveness and, and what it is and what it isn't and, you know, that one next step that we need to all take and who that might be we need to forgive or what, what that looks like, um, it was just really, really great. And um, I've noticed um, Pastor Evan, we all know this, Pastor Evan's just very good. He's just very good, right? Like, so he, you know, he was sharing, and he has like all these like great points and these great stories, and I'm like, yeah, that's that's awesome. And his PowerPoint was way more, you know, in like uh, what's the word, detailed than mine are. Um, but I love uh, when we ever when we get the opportunity to hear Pastor Evan uh, share with us, and so uh, we're really grateful for him um, doing that. Now. As, as he was sharing, he um, was focusing on forgiveness and forgive us our debts and our trespasses as we have forgiven others. And today, Matthew 6.13 is, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, the reason I have temptation highlighted there, again, is because when I originally was planning this sermon or going through this sermon, it was talking about how to avoid temptation? How do we avoid those things that cause us to stumble and to sin? How do we step out of those so that we can, you know, live and navigate things as well as we can without sinning? And that will be part of our sermon. We'll we'll at least address some of that. But that's not exactly what this word temptation means. In fact, if you go to the next slide, what it talks about is this word temptation, a better translation for it is a time of testing. What it's saying is Jesus tells us to pray that we would not be led into times of testing. And some of you who uh, have shown up to school and uh, you had a pop quiz that you weren't prepared for, you know how testing can be uh, a little concerning. Those of you who know you have a test, it can still be a little overwhelming. I had a class here at UC San Diego where um, they didn't check attendance, they didn't have papers, they didn't have like tests throughout the quarter. All they had was a midterm and a final. You think to yourself, oh, that's, that's not bad. The midterm, though, was worth one-third of your grade, and the final was worth two-thirds. So even though I had done well in the midterm, it's, you just go into this final test, you go to all the classes, you take all the notes, you do all the work, because you know that within the next hour, that test is going to determine two-thirds of your grade. And so you, you learn well even when there's a, a difficult test that you're facing, But this time of testing um, is something that there's two different dynamics of it. And so the first thing that I want to talk about is the sermon's called Trials and Error. Because trials, and I'm going to use trials as an umbrella term, and we'll unpack this together. Trials is going to be an umbrella term for temptations and for tests. And I'll unpack that, so we'll, we'll hopefully make that a little bit clearer. But trials on our notes, is they're inevitable. Trials are inevitable, and, and we know that, but I think there's a misconception or a misnomer that maybe we as Christians haven't always painted the picture, or maybe there's just, again, a misconception that thinks that, oh, when I trust Jesus, when I become a Christian, everything's going to be easy. And we know unequivocally that's not true. In the same way that many of us, um, if, if we've been married, they, we think, oh, marriage is going to be easy. And there's that honey, there's already giggles like in the, in the congregation. I didn't hear who did it. I didn't see who did it. So we're all in a safe place. Um, but this idea of we think, oh, it's going to be easy because when we're so excited about a relationship in the beginning, we don't always foresee the difficulties that relationship may entail later on. 
And the same thing happens when we come to know Jesus. We think, I'm going to give my life to Jesus, and I'm going to follow God, and things will be easy from now on. And yet, we often forget how the one whom we follow, Jesus, things were not always easy for him. And he was fully God, and he experienced great trial, great crucifixion, great pain on our behalf. And so, Following Jesus is not a painless life, but it's a life filled with his presence in the midst of pain. It's recognizing that we're not alone. It's recognizing that trials are inevitable. Now, I'm going to share several quotations from a woman, a theologian named Susan R. Garrett. She is someone that uh, wrote a lot in the Eerdman Commentary Bible, um, and so, or Commentary on the Bible, uh, which was a great resource, and it helped clarify a few things for me. So I'm going to quote her a few times throughout our message this morning. I want to give credit to whom credit is due. And so the first thing that she said here in referring to trials being inevitable is that biblical and post-biblical authors took for granted that trials of faith are inevitable in the life of the righteous, that this was just assumed that there would be difficulties in trials. And I think we live in a culture where there are times when we experience trials and we think it must only be because we did something wrong or, you know, what did they do to deserve that? Even in Jesus' time, when there was a man who was born blind in John chapter 9, the disciples' question to Jesus was, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? In other words, the assumption is someone must have done something wrong because something in someone's life is not going well. And that's not an accurate assessment. And we see this in the story of Job in which he was righteous and and yet he still experienced great affliction. And we'll turn to that, or not turn to that, excuse me, we'll reference that later on. But we want to acknowledge that when it comes to the expectation that there will be trials in our walk, that's that's the expectation in the New Testament, not the exception. And so when we experience trials, let us not look at that as, oh my gosh, like this is shocking that's happening. Yes, there's pain, there's heartache. We're not devaluing it, but we ought not be surprised when difficulties come because again, the one whom we follow had difficulties in his life as well. So trials are inevitable. And then there are, uh, hold off on the slide for a second on this next one. So there's three agents of the trials, three, three ones, three, three dynamics or things that help put forth some of the trials. And I'm going to, I'm asking them to hold it on because I want to be able to explain it to you before you just look at it right off the bat. So if you look in the scripture, there are three different things. You can pull up the slides now. It says God is one of the agents. Satan is one of the other agents. And our human passion is the third agent. So let me unpack that. In regards to agent, the one who is making something happen. And so when we look at trials, and we're using the word trials to mean both temptation and testing. So we look at God. And there are times when God leads us into times of trial, that we experience difficulty. And we pray that we wouldn't experience those trials, but we also, as we will see later on, can take hold of the fact that when we are experiencing, not if, but when, that we can endure through the power of Christ. But you look at Genesis 22, and that idea of a trial was that Abraham was told by God, he was being tested by God, to sacrifice his son Isaac, who was the chosen son, the one that through which Abraham's line of descendants that God had promised would take place. He was the one through which that would happen. And yet in Genesis 22, God says, 
go up to Mount Moriah and sacrifice your son Isaac. And so we see how there are times when God brings trials and difficulties in our lives. That could be something medical that comes. That could be something relational. That could be something financial. That can be so many different things, but it's things that there are trials that we experience. But on the other side, one of the other agents is Satan. Satan and his, and his human agents. Some of you who are um, listening, maybe you are still on your journey with God, and so you're not fully convinced about following Jesus. And in fact, we are so glad that you are with us. If you have questions, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. And so what we want to encourage you with, and, and recognize that we're all on different stages of our journey, but part of my role is to still, still speak the truth in love. And so truthfully, we are in a spiritual battle. That, that, that's not something that is, um, that's not something that's just like, I don't know, uh, my, my old pastor would say eerie fiery, but just this idea of like, this is a real battle, a real spiritual warfare. And just because we can't see something doesn't mean that it doesn't have an effect on us. And so Satan and, and those who are working under him, like demons and things like that, they can still cause us to experience great affliction. They're still able to cause great temptation. And we see this from the very beginning when the serpent tempted Adam and Eve. So that was one other agent in which trials came. And the third one is human passion. And this comes from James chapter 1, the idea of when we experience, uh, when, when there's a desire for sin and we're tempted by that, then sin is conceived and then eventually gives birth to death. And this idea that it's our own passion that can cause us to stumble. That we are, that we let down our guard and we willingly walk into temptation. So just briefly, there's three different agents, and this is what Susan R. Garrett talks about. But I don't want to land there because there's something that uh, I want to explain more deeply about how, remember I said the umbrella, we're going to use the word trials, for the umbrella of temptations and tests. So there's two different trials that we're going to look at, again, Susan Garrett's words. The first trial, the type of trial, are temptations. And he, she calls us trials of seduction. So when we think of temptation, this is what we are referring to. It's, this is an example of when the tempter, so again, this is not God, because God does not tempt. The tempter makes a deceptive offer of benefit or pleasure. It's when we know that uh, what, often what sin is, is it's an illegitimate way to fulfill a legitimate desire. That God created in us the need for food. Sinning is when we give in to gluttony. God created within us the desire for companionship and relationship. The sin is when we are putting ourselves above others and we treat people poorly. God created within us a desire for sex and for that intimacy. The sin is when we try to fulfill that in an illegitimate way. So, when we're looking at this, it's recognizing that when there's a deceptive offer of benefit or pleasure, that's, oh, if you just eat this, watch this, listen to this, say this, think this, you just drink this, smoke this, I mean, whatever it is, and if we think, oh, if we just did this thing, then we would actually feel pleasure, we would feel joy, we would, we would be happy. And then we give in to that. 
even when we know, as Proverbs talks about, that when we sin, it's like a, a, a bird flying into the fowler's net. And we get caught. And so these trials of seduction are real trials, and those are ones that happen internally because we give in. And they're ones that when people are, or when we are tempted, we believe the lie that we can receive a legitimate desire fulfilled in an illegitimate way. So again, as an example, James chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 13, if you look at the screens, it says, when tempted, no one should say God is tempting me. Again, this word tempted and the word testing in the Greek are the same word. And so we need to unpack which one we are referring to in different portions of the scripture. I know this is a very not, I don't know, it's not a perfect example, but it's like the idea of how can tempt and test be the same word? And yet we know how like aloha can mean hello and goodbye. Like they mean the exact opposite things, but the context is going to give us and point us to the truth of whether if you're seeing someone for the first time and they say aloha, that's a hello, unless if they're super rude and like, yeah, no aloha, you know, go away. But no, for the most part, the context is going to reveal that. So whenever we say God is tempting me, we know that not to be true. Why? Because as we just talked about, God, or excuse me, temptation, a trial of seduction is when there is a false promise of benefit or pleasure. God doesn't give false promises. So God cannot tempt because he cannot give falsehoods. He cannot deceive and say, oh, if you do this thing, we'll be okay and have it not come to fruition. Instead, he says, if you come to me, all you who are weary, heavy laden, I will give you rest that you could taste and see that the Lord is good. And instead of eating the fruit of temptation in Genesis 3, we can taste and see of the fruit of the spirit that the Lord is good. So God is not the one who tempted us. Why? For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. And then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Notice in that, verb, in that um, passage, it's, it's, um, there's the hunting terminology, uh, enticed, dragged away, or more of like a fishing one, so you have a lure and so when we are lured in this, the temptation, we grab hold, and then we are dragged away inside of the net, and then we are, um, and then we are uh, the end. And so recognize, and then there's that, and then there's also the, the, the conception or, or birth idea of desire conceived becomes birth to sin, and sin, full grown, gives birth to death. So God cannot tempt us, but we have trials of seduction. And I think part of why this struck me was that we say things like, Jesus tells us to pray, lead us not into temptation. But then we look at Matthew 4, just two chapters before, and it talks about how the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. So how do we reconcile this idea of temptation? Because the Spirit led, but we're prayed not to be led into temptation. What does that look like? Well, on the one hand, we are not Jesus, and so that journey is a little bit different than ours, obviously. But on the other hand, it's just a reminder that Jesus was led out to not just a temptation, but to a time of testing. He was being led out into the wilderness to be tested to see that when the enemy, when Satan was trying to give him a false prof promise or benefit, 
deceptively, would he withstand? So there are temptations, and then the second one are the tests of affliction, which are the tests, excuse me, trials of affliction, which are our tests. So again, trials, temptations are trials of seduction, tests are trials of affliction. And this is when the agent causes pain or suffering that tempts the afflicted to abandon their faith. So whereas temptation is when we willingly walk into a sin or we give into sin to believe a false promise, trials are things that are very often outside of our control. Those are the things that come and it's, it's the medical diagnosis that you never envisioned you would hear. Those are the things where it's your job, your, your company is downsizing and now you don't know where you're going to make ends meet. Trials on the outside are when we experience things that it's not any fault of our own and yet we are still being afflicted to the point where there may be a moment of temptation or a moment of, um, yeah, temptation to abandon our faith in Christ. Have you ever had those moments when something bad happened? You say, well, if God was good, he wouldn't allow this to happen. If God loved me, why am I in this pain? If God was here, why do I feel so alone? Those are examples of, of when we are afflicted, when we are being tested to say, when we don't see God working in our lives the way we want him to, will we still walk in faith? Do we walk by faith or do we walk by sight? Hebrews 11 talks about how faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So when we don't see God, will we still follow God? Those are examples of tests. And so... The reason this was helpful to me is because it, it unpacks this idea of how God tests us. He does not tempt us. Psalm 66 says it this way. For you, God, tested us. Again, this is the same idea, the same word. You refined us like silver. You brought us into prison, laid burdens on our backs. You let people ride over our heads. We went through fire and water, but you brought us to a place of abundance. It's an example of God still does put his people, those he loves, those who are his children. He allows us to experience tests. And when we're in the midst of those tests, we feel burden upon burden. We feel imprisoned. We feel like we're experiencing fire and water. We experience like we're in over our heads. We experience this and it causes us to question, do we still see God? Excuse me, do we still believe God when we don't see him? Or do we need that we are, are we people who are still walking by sight and not faith? So it helped me to understand this idea of, well, God led Jesus into the desert for a time of testing. He wasn't tempting him to go against his word. He was leading him into a time of testing. So for you right now, we're all experiencing trials of different kinds. Uh, we're all experiencing difficulties in different ways. And so Two of the questions or things that we can ask ourselves are, am I experiencing this because I've given into a temptation? Is this, a, is this this trial of seduction that I've given into? Or is this a trial of affliction? Is it something that I'm being tested to see if I will withstand this test? Will I still have faith when I don't see God? That Malachi talks about how we are being refined like silver. And 
Psalm 66 referred to it. But the refiner's fire is that example of when the, the refiner is putting the silver inside the hottest part of the fire. And the way that he knows that the silver is refined and all the impurities are removed is when he sees his own reflection in the silver. That when we are in trials of affliction, of these moments of testing, we will feel like we can't go on any longer. And he's waiting for that moment that he sees his reflection in our lives. There's a... um, there's a, uh, My Utmost for His Highest, uh, which is a, a very well-known um, devotional um, by Oswald Chambers. He talks about one where, uh, I've, I've been, real quick, sorry. Has anybody, anyone been watching the Olympics, like staying up abnormally late or watching the highlights the next day? I've, I find myself interested in sports I didn't know. I knew they existed, right? But like, I'm like, I don't know what that means. So, you know, I'm like, I all of a sudden I got really into like water polo. I'm like, yeah, that's a two-meter foul. I don't like, you know, like I'm just figuring out one of them is archery, right? And you see, you see them line up and I was, you know, watching that a little bit. In Oswald Chambers, he talks about how a saint, someone who follows God, is like an arrow in the hands of an archer. And he's stretched and he's pulled back so far. And just at the moment where he thinks, I cannot do this any longer. I cannot hold on any longer. That is when the archer lets fly and to hit the target. When you and I are in that moment of feeling stretched beyond measure and tested, if we can just endure, then he will let us fly. He will release us to experience what he has for us. And not that that's easy, but it's what he has planned for us. So we looked at how trials are inevitable, but if I'm going to give one more point, it's just it's a simple one. Simple in concept, not simple to do, excuse me. It's called trials and error. Trials are inevitable, but giving up is the air. Giving up in the midst of temptation and having our guards up, and then all of a sudden, you know what? This temptation is too great. I'm just going to let down my guard. And stepping into that is the air. Or in the midst of tri- or testing and thinking that, oh, I'm being afflicted to the point where now I'm giving up my faith in God. Giving up is the error. Why? Because as we see here in Susan Garrett, she says it this way, the appropriate response to temptation slash testing, is always endurance. It's making it through so that you can be refined like silver. It's making it through the temptation and realizing, oh, now I've made it through the other side. I'm reading a book uh, called David and Goliath by Malcolm Gladwell, uh, someone who does a lot of research and, and writes about leadership. It's from my grad school class. And he talks about how before London was bombed in, uh, 19, in the World War II, he talks about how the, the, the British authorities started really worrying. They're, they're predicting just hundreds of thousands of people that were going to die, millions that were going to leave the city. They weren't sure how they were going to respond, so they built these hospitals that were meant to be like trauma hospitals emotionally all across or on the outskirts of the city. The idea being that if someone was so traumatized, they would go and they would leave where they were, because you know, over a million buildings ended up being destroyed through the 57 days of constant bombing of London. But they were thinking, oh, they would go off and they would hide and they would need, they would need care. And what they learned 
was that those buildings ended up being used for military purposes, but not because people use them the way they thought. Because there's this concept of three different things that happen uh, or experiences when there's um, a traumatic event. And I'm going to use the example of, of uh, the bombing um, in London specifically for this pur purpose. The first is a direct hit. So if someone is directly hit by that, then, then they die. So obviously that is a very extreme example. The second one is a near miss. A near miss is someone who is so close to the blast that it creates an anxiety and a fear and an overwhelming just you know, panic because they're this close and they were almost, you know, they almost died. And so that creates fear. But then the third one is what's called a remote miss. And that's an example of maybe you're in one section of London and you hear the sirens and you know that a bomb's coming and you hear the bomb being dropped, but it's, you know, it ends up being several blocks away. It doesn't actually impact you. What they talk about in this book is that while near misses create anxiety and fear and all those things that those, barrack, or those uh, military buildings were going to be built for in order to help with trauma, Near misses do that, but remote misses, they actually give people a greater resolve. Why? Because they say, like the, he, he, they interviewed someone and talked about how this woman shared, I had been bombed, but I survived. All of a sudden, when we have a remote miss, when, it, when we know trauma's nearby, but we've survived it, it gives us a stronger resolve to know that we can survive the next one. It's this idea of we're not, and this is the quote from a book, we're not just afraid of what can happen. We are often afraid of being afraid. So all that planning to create these rooms to help people with trauma, they only needed a fraction of that space. Why? Because there were so many remote misses in London that it created a stronger resolve within Londoners in order to make it through the war. When you and I are able to endure struggles. There will be times when we have direct hits. I'm not devaluing that. When we are hit so painfully, it knocks us out for a while. There will be times when we have near misses, when it's something that is so close to us and we are still rattled and there's trauma and there's difficulty. I'm not devaluing that either. But for those of us who experience remote misses, when there are trials that come and we are able to withstand it and to endure through it, our faith will be resolved even stronger. And we know that we'll be able to face uncertain times knowing that we've been through really bad things. And God is still here. And God is still good. So why do I bring that all up? Because as we talked about the goal, the appropriate response is endurance. That when James talks about blessed is the person who goes through trials and endures. Romans 5 and 3 and 4 talk about how perseverance produces character and character hope. And hope does not disappoint. When we endure through the times of trial, whether it's temptation or whether it's testing, when we endure through that, it allows us to have a stronger faith. It allows us to walk by faith, not by sight. and allows us to be refined like silver in the hands of God. So the last part of the verse that we started with is, lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And the point I want to mention here, yes, is that there is an evil one, that spiritual warfare is real. And 
There was once a time when the word deliver didn't just mean bring food to me. It meant to rescue, right? They were delivered out of Egypt. We can be delivered and brought from one place of affliction and one place of evil into a place of a land of peace and promise. That we can now experience what it means to be delivered from pain of the evil one. Why? Because of our own strength, because we just grin and bear it, because we know that we're going to throw the cookies out and just say, now we have all the willpower. No. As it says here, Susan Garrett says it this way, the conviction of New Testament authors is that Christians should pray to avoid trial. We don't, we don't willingly pray, God, give me hard times. We pray to avoid trial, but we need not fear them, for they need not rely on their own power alone. So when we are facing trials, it's not up to us to get ourselves through. It's up to us to hold on to the one who will get us through. It's not up to our own strength. It's relying on God's strength. Because in our own weakness, we are made strong through Christ because his grace is sufficient. And then the last idea is just that with this testing, God provides a way out. And that comes from 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind, and God is faithful. If you hear nothing else today, and you don't remember anything about frog and toad and cookies or London and bombing or, you know, me wanting to go to take my midterm, if you hear nothing else and you just remember God is faithful, well, then this has been an impactful day. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Whatever temptation, which is a trial of affliction, or excuse me, seduction, or whatever test, a trial of affliction, whatever you are facing now, on your own strength, we will fail. Because our flesh and our heart is weak. But in God's strength, we can endure. Doesn't mean it's easy. Doesn't mean we know how long that will happen. Doesn't mean that it won't, we won't have battle scars or trauma after it. But what the enemy means for our direct hit or a near miss to cause trauma and fear and affliction, God can use to create a remote miss that allows us to be more resolved, more strengthened, more encouraged and more able to face whatever comes next because we know it's not about us. It's that God is with us in the midst of this. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are with us. We thank you, Lord, that as we just read, you are faithful. God, as 2 Timothy says, even if we are faithless, you will not disown us because you cannot, or you will still remain faithful because you cannot disown yourself. That your love for us is not contingent upon our own goodness. It's contingent upon yours. That your grace is an unmerited favor. It is a gift that we do not earn, but we can reap the blessing of. Lord, I pray for those of us in this room, those of us watching online, or those of us listening to the podcast later. Lord, I pray that you would help us to recognize if we are in a trial of seduction, if we are feeling tempted right now, Help us to know that you will provide a way out. That we don't have to give in. And that we are able through your power and your grace to endure. 
Help us to have the eyes to see the ways out in the midst of our temptation, Lord. For those of us who are in trials, something that is an affliction that is causing us to think about abandoning our faith in you. Lord, may we not allow the things that we don't know, the future, why this is happening, the questions, may we not allow the things we don't know to take away from the things we do know, which is that you are good and that you love us. You have plans for us that aren't easy, but it's for our own good. And that when we endure and persevere, it produces character and hope and a crown of life. So help us to endure tests. And Jesus, as we think about the fact that you lived a life that was difficult, may we not be shocked when we have difficult times, but may we run to you in the midst of our pain. And may you give us the ability to be stronger in our resolve and in our faith after, on the other side of our trials, so that we can be a light for you to others who are going through similar trials. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.